0: We've been going through Ephesians, and we're at Ephesians five twenty one. And uh, uh, a colleague of mine yesterday said, "Maybe you just skip this part," um, because there are people who get offended. I gotta admit it, 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 it; it's a bit of a minefield. And yet, when I think of the Bible, I think of—I think of a source of life and truth and joy. The idea of of approaching any section and saying, can we just skip it? Can we just be afraid of it? It seems at odds with the whole purpose of following the Bible in the first place, so I don't want to do that. Just because the world has gone spraying doesn't mean we necessarily go spraying with it. Fair enough? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much. I thank you so much for your word. Every single verse of it. Lord, I thank you for the parts I don't like because those are the parts that change me. And I pray, Lord, today, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts up to you even as we open your word up to us and work in us. Whatever it is, you need to work in each one of us. Give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, a French sociologist wrote a book entitled We Are Not Born Submissive, How Patriarchy Shapes Women's Lives. And she talks about how how women even are complicit in the subjugation of women. And she says everything in 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 an interview, she said, everything in society is designed to make women submit. And she cites Mediterranean men and, and, and French men and her Corsican grandmother, every American. And she says, ultimately, women should strive to submit as little as possible. But what's what I found the most interesting in the whole thing was that in her thesis, she juxtaposed submission with freedom, as if submission equals slavery. And as such, I'm like, oh yeah, submit as little as possible. I'm right there with her, except that I don't define the term that way. And I, I can't help but think that she would say that submission, submitting to anybody else would be to give away freedom and dignity and agency that, that, that God created people to be with, and, and that's the ultimate horror. I would think that as she, if she were listening to the sermon, as we come to Ephesians 5.21 and following, I, I would think this would be really hard, or, or, or Colossians 3. or or Romans 13, or Hebrews 13, or 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 2, or 1 Peter 5. Actually, the Bible repeatedly commands us to submit, not just to God, but to other people. It's not, well, you have to read that section this way. The Bible repeatedly talks about submission, And if you're going to have a visceral reaction to the very concept that the Bible might call you to submit, well, something's gone sproying, hasn't it? Because either the Bible is obviously wrong, pitch it. If a GPS occasionally sends you into bear traps, maybe you shouldn't trust GPS, Right? Right? Either that or maybe, maybe it's not the GPS that's sending us the bear traps. Maybe you should trust the GPS and just learn how to use it. The Bible repeatedly calls us to submit, and that's got to be scary for people. There've got to be people that, when they even see those verses, they go, ah! May I lovingly, respectfully say, if you ever have an emotional, visceral reaction to simply reading Bible verses, that these Bible verses exist, you're coming at it from a broken place. You're broken. Maybe you were broken by someone. But you're broken. Don't stay there. This is a place to find healing. Healing from that. I don't ever want you to acquiesce to it or to remain in bitterness with it. Because part of the problem, obviously, part of the problem is that there are people throughout the centuries who have abused verses like the need to submit. Haven't they? There are people who have abused these, even though the prevention of that abuse is almost always built into those sections. So abused people will oftentimes feel somewhat raw when they see these. Kind of like, veterans with PTSD, right? But don't, don't stay in that PTSD. That's something we want to work through. That's something we want to get past. Because, I mean, a veteran may hear a balloon pop and have this immediate sense of, Incoming! And you just go, okay, I get it. But it doesn't mean that the balloon actually is an attack, right? Right? I get where you're coming from. But that doesn't mean every balloon popping is an explosion from an enemy trying to hurt you. Please don't make biblical submission a PTSD balloon. Please don't look at this and say, well, I have been abused by this, therefore it is inherently abusive. I have been hurt by things that went bang, therefore everything that says bang hurts me. No, but I understand where you're coming from. I do. Of course, there's always going to be some people that don't like it because they don't want to submit. They don't. They don't want to. They just don't. It has nothing to do with perceived abuses. The first temptation in Eden worked because our our inherent self agency that God created us with was easily twisted into self interest. Right? Oh, God's telling you you can't do something. Well, then that's the thing you should do, isn't it? Don't you want to be in charge of your own life? Why, God isn't helping you. He's not nurturing you. He's hemming you in and keeping you from something you want. And there's nothing worse than that. As a species, we don't like it when anybody tells us what to do. As Americans, we fought a revolution so that people couldn't control us from over the seas, right? As modern Americans, the worst thing we can imagine is that somebody might even tell us something we didn't want to hear. We want safe spaces where nobody's even going to tell us things that are contrary to what we want. So there is some of that. But I also think that at its core, part of the main problem here isn't their abuses or my abuses or the fact that I want to be this or that. I think at its core, part of the problem is that definition that submission equals slavery. That is a misunderstanding. Because the Bible isn't saying, please enslave yourself to somebody else. It's not saying that. If we believe that submission is all about someone losing their freedom or dignity or agency, then we've already screwed it up. Whether we think that's what you should be doing or we think that that's what I should be doing. Help me out. Does, does, does submitting to God require that you turn off your brain? Is that what he asks you to do? Submitting to God requires that you submit to him being abusive to you. Submitting to God, say that you should lose your dignity. You should lose your agency. Does it make you lose freedom or gain freedom? Don't you gain a genuine dignity? Don't you gain a cosmic agency? When you say, I want to be part of this family want to be part of this system. So if it's not inherently offensive to submit to God, then it shouldn't be inherently offensive to submit to somebody else. It's just how we do it that's broken. If you haven't already done so, hopefully you've got your Bibles open to Ephesians 5:21. Let's pick up where we left off. submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which I actually can't start with because that is not a sentence. It's the end of a sentence, and the original is the end of a long sentence, so I've got to read the whole sentence. Don't be drunk with wine, because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You should be living all this and singing all of this and engaging with all of this, submitting to one another in Christ. We go, so this is about submission. That's the last bit of a long sentence. Everything that we talk about here today is stemming off of everything that Paul's been talking about for the last several weeks in Ephesians. If you have liked the first several, what, nine weeks in Ephesians, please don't go, Nah, but that tenth one, I don't like that. Don't do that. To pull this section out of its context or to start with verse 22 is detrimental to understanding what this is about. Do not ever start with verse 22. Then you miss the whole point of what Paul's getting at here. Because is this a section all about why wives should submit to husbands? If you think that, you're wrong. I love you. You're wrong. Because it starts with the end of the previous thought. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It isn't about power trips. It's not about who has power over whom. It's the opposite of that. Ain't none of us as Christians supposed to be standing on top of another human being so that we feel taller. That's not what we were designed for. In fact, I seem to remember Jesus Christ himself kneeling to wash his disciples' feet, the lowest act of the lowest servant and then calling us to do the same thing. I seem to remember that's what Maundy Thursday is all about. That's the Thursday, right? Look it up. (laughs) Hint, if someone is asking you to submit to them in ways that God himself is not asking you to submit to him, they're doing it wrong. If someone is expecting submission from you that demeans you or abuses you or removes your freedom or removes your dignity or removes your agency in life, then they're doing it wrong. And if they are doing it wrong, please do not judge the system by how they are doing it wrong. If you're going to use judgment, judge them against the system that they're doing wrong and say, you're not doing this right. So many of us go, ah, people abuse this, therefore it is wrong. No, their abuse is wrong. I'm aware that in my youth, I get in fights. God gave me this phenomenal, phenomenal mechanism, and I used it to harm people. Therefore, I should have hacked it off, and all of you should hack off your hands because apparently they can be abusive. Yes? Or maybe we use them correctly. Submit to one another. Besides, like we said last week, it's not like God is saying, I want to yank you off the throne of your life so that you have to bow in abject submission and humility in front of somebody else's throne, is he? He's saying, "Uh, you shall all be on your knees before God's throne already. We should all already be before God's throne, not one another's throne. So I want to come back to this. And I know this is a big, long intro to something that is just the next part of Ephesians. But when another pastor goes, eh, you may want to just skip the next part. I know it's still Paul talking, but you may want to just skip the next part. I'm like, yeah, I know, I can't do that. But apparently I have to preface it because it is offensive to our modern ears to hear, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's, it has got to be wrong, right? Can't, the Bible doesn't actually say that. And if it does, the Bible's wrong. Aren't both of those eisegetically trying to read what I already wanted it to say back into what it's apparently saying? I'd rather just look and say, what's it saying? Let's look at what it's saying. Submit. Greek word. Hupatasi. I'm hupatasi myself. Means literally to place myself under. It's actually literally the same that the word submit means coming from the Latin, to, to place myself under doesn't automatically mean obedience, though that's oftentimes connected, but it doesn't automatically mean obedience. To place yourself under, it's like a sergeant placing himself under the authority of a lieutenant. Does that mean that he should always do everything the lieutenant tells him to do? No, actually. There are a lot of things that lieutenants say that the sergeant's supposed to go, that actually doesn't work in point of practice, we're gonna do it this way. Or in combat situations, if the lieutenant gives an immoral order, the sergeant's supposed to go, no, that's wrong. I won't do what's wrong. I'm your superior officer. No, just a higher-ranking one. That was a joke. Anyway, <laughs> I don't have to follow it if it's an immoral order. I'm just placing myself within a chain of accountability, within a chain of responsibility. Doesn't mean I always have to obey. It means I have to think about this. In fact, 1 Peter 3 talks about, when it's talking about wives submitting, it says, wives, you should be submitting even to your unbelieving husbands, which, uh, except it says some really important things when you think about that. Number one, you don't have to agree with everything or even pretend to. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, it's ultimately to the husband's benefit if the wife doesn't agree with his unbelief, correct? Secondly, you don't have to shut off your brain. You don't even have to pretend to. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, it's ultimately to the husband's benefit if the wife stands up and speaks her own mind on crucial things, that they think differently about. Number three, you don't have to obey everything or even pretend to obey everything. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, it's ultimately to the husband's benefit if the wife refuses to obey anything that would go contrary to what God has called us to. Because ultimately, the whole point of any submission in any relationship is to reflect our healthy, perfect relationship with the Lord. I don't want to do anything that steps on that. If a sergeant can make that decision based on a lieutenant's orders, I think I think we as Christians can make some of those decisions, can't we, with the Holy Spirit within us? I think so. It's not even just a, a wifely thing. It's submit to one another. All of this is within the context of we're all doing this in mutual loving submission, right? We're we're broken people trying to submit in our own broken way to other broken people, but in a way that still honors Christ. And if you go, man, I can't even hear that without bristling, without having a problem, you go, you might be more broken. You might be more bruised. I'm not even necessarily faulting on that, but maybe instead of me avoiding this scripture, maybe maybe we need to work on trying to help you to heal from that. No matter what the next verses say, we have to read that within the context of what we've read throughout Ephesians, we are one body made up of different parts. And all those different parts have different jobs, but they're all interconnected and they're all important and all of them have to work with all the other ones. That's the way this works. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when I say mutual loving submission, I'm not even technically just talking about I submit to Wendy because I love her. No, technically I'm saying, though that's part of it, I'm saying I submit to Wendy because I love Christ. That's what I'm supposed to be doing with this. It begins with appreciating, honoring, and loving our Lord. First John tells us we love because he first loved us. He washed our feet. He showed us an example for us to follow. And it's not an example of who has power over whom. It's about saying, I love you. How do I meet your needs? So when we hear Paul say, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit to their husbands in everything. Oh my goodness, don't freestyle off in the wrong direction. Please do not. You got to do anything I tell you to do, because you're just the wife. Don't do that. That's not what Paul is getting at. I'm sorry, what did verse 21 say? We're all supposed to be submitting to one another. Not a wife to the husband, but the husband to the wife, and the wife to the husband, and me to you, and you to me, and them to thee. And the Somehow this is all supposed to ultimately honor Christ. Not honoring this guy or that guy, but Christ. And this isn't the first time that Paul even talked about Christ being the head of the body. It's actually the fourth time in Ephesians that he's talked about this. Again, sometimes we love to take this out and go, what do you mean by head here? You go, I don't know, what do you mean by head the last three times? In the same book. That they all read it one time, remember? They read it all at once. I know, I've done ten sermons now on it, but they, they did it all at once. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of grace that he lavished on us, that he gave generously, extravagantly because of his love, with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. So whatever head means, people are like, oh, it means noggin. No, it means head as in source. No, it means head as in authority. Whatever it means, Christ being our head pulls us all together, patiently growing us and nurturing us all together until all together we reach our personal fulfillment, even as history itself reaches its fulfillment. It's all about nurturing, growing, connecting, pulling us together in the right direction. We're told in him we were also chosen. In fact, if I recall, we were chosen in before the creation of the world. In love he predestined us. So this choosing, this this planning, this bringing it all together is all predicated by his love. That's the first time we're told that he's the head in Ephesians. Later on in Ephesians 1.22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head. Which I love. It's like everything's under his feet. We're his body. He's our head. That's the pecking order. Thank you very much. All creation under him. We are under him. We are part of this. But. We are connected to him, everything under his feet, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So he isn't just making us grow to be our best selves. The whole point is that we're supposed to be reflecting his fullness, his completeness, his image. He's not just growing us to be our best selves. He's growing us to be like him. Thus, as members of one body, as members of Christ's body, in chapter 4 we're told that we're supposed to be speaking the truth in love, and we will grow in all things, we'll grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you see a theme going on here? Love, growth, growth, love, interconnectedness, love, growth, interconnectedness, love, Growth, growth, maturity, interconnected maturity, interconnected growth, love. By the way, the husband's the head. Oh, so I'm in charge? You're like, so only if you ignore everything else that's ever come in Ephesians, right? You're ignoring your own context to make your own argument. Whatever else Paul's getting at here in Ephesians 5? Whatever else? It's all about Love, interconnectedness, growth, support, encouragement, love, growth, encouragement, maturity, interconnectedness. By the way, which part of those do you find offensive? Christ loves us. Christ tries to keep us connected. Christ tries to grow us, mature us. Which of those is inherently offensive? So is it inherently offensive that Christ says, how about... You do this with one another. You know, we might do it badly. That's offensive. But each part of the body has its unique, important, interconnected role. So wives, can you honor your husbands if they try to be a healthy stand-in within your family for Christ? They're not Christ, but can you do that? Whatever that means. You go, but... <laughs> husbands, by definition, that means... It's your responsibility to try to live like a healthy stand-in for Christ. Can you do that? By the way, you're the ones that are supposed to be going, what? Because you'll stink at it, right? You will stink at that because, hint, you're not Christ. But the idea is saying, can, can this echo this in some way? Can our relationship here echo Christ's relationship with his church somehow? Wives, can you submit to your husbands as to the Lord? And parallel, husbands, love your wives. And, and too often we don't, we don't, again, that's another word we don't think through. We go, oh, cool. I don't have to submit to her. And all I have to do is like bring her flowers every once in a while some candy and say, you look pretty today. Right? <laughs> she has to obey me and I just have to be affectionate toward her. Is that what Paul's getting at here? That's not what submit means, and that's not what love means. Because, And remember, I'm sorry, what did verse 21 tell us? We're all submitting. So no matter how I read the rest of this, I'm supposed to be submitting to Wendy. Whatever else I want to say about the rest of the verses, it has to be in the context of me submitting to Wendy. By the way, the word love doesn't just mean romantic affection. Love is this desire to commit ourselves to meeting the needs of another human being to place my wants beneath your needs. I'm sorry, in Gethsemane, did Jesus express his wants? I want not to get stapled to a tree until I die. I want that. And yet, not what I want. Not what I will, but what you will. And I didn't come to get out of this life alive. I came to serve everybody else. This is love. This is love. My wants submitted to your needs. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's like a definition of submission, isn't it? So the whole, wives, you've got to obey me and I get to rule you and I just have to do it lovingly. You go... Ugh! Don't read it that way. I need to love. It's a different kind of submission because I'm a different part of the body, but I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church and said everything that I am, everything that I want, how do I serve you better and love you so that you know that you have your needs met by someone committed to love you? And I stink at this. Stink at this. And God says, do it. I'm not suggesting it. I'm not encouraging it. I'm commanding it. Kevin, do it. And I stink at it. But before I beat myself up, I've seen you people. You stink at it too. Yes, Gary, even you at home. I'm not judging. It's just we're broken and we're not Christ. I just want to be Christ-like. By the way, Wendy should be Christ-like. That's what she should be doing. But I'm told, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved. The church gave himself over to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Here's a fun little factoid. I love history. And traditionally, in marriages of the era, in weddings of the era, the family servants would wash the bride so that she was all ready for the husband when they come to the wedding ceremony. Paul goes, yeah! No, no, no. The bridegroom does that. The servant's job. The bridegroom does that. Not just any bridegroom. But the one I've said is the Lord over all. The one who washes her with his own blood with his own word with his own salvation the bridegroom does that kind of like when jesus washed the disciples feet i'm sorry is the mental picture that paul's painting here by saying that is this mental picture of a guy who says let me dominate you woman paul says i get to is paul saying Women, you need to just be on your face before your husband, call him Lord and Master, do whatever he tells you to do. Is he saying that that any of us should lord it over anybody else? In fact, I remember Jesus telling his disciples that the, 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 the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles do that. They lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. It's all about who has power over whom. Not so with you guys beloved. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Man, that's even more offensive than the word submit, isn't it? For even the Son of Man, Jesus says, even I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to hupotasso it, to submit my life to your needs, because you earned it. Yes? Isn't that what grace means? I give my life as Jesus to save your soul because you've earned it. You deserve it. Yes? Peter says you should submit yourself to the authorities, even the twisted ones. The deviant ones, because they've earned it. They deserve it. Morally, right? Huh. So the I'm sorry, he didn't doesn't deserve that on my hands argument doesn't doesn't work? Huh, okay. Remind me of that later. In the same way, Paul says in Ephesians 5.28, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. If they're the head, the noggin of the body, it's not about I'm in charge or y'all got to do what I say, kind of head honcho-ness. It's, no, I'm connected. I'm life-building. I'm affirming. I'm nurturing. I'm growing. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be helping us kind of head. He who loves his wife loves himself because they're interconnected. After all, no one has ever hated his own body. He feeds it. He cares for it. He wants it to keep going. He wants it to be healthy, just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. Being the head isn't any more about lording it over someone else, as, as submitting to someone else is about losing your own self in the process. It's not what it's about. The theme is consistent throughout. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Husbands, love your wives like the church, like Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Both of you should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What's the common denominator here? Christ. Echo Christ. Live like Christ. Echo Christ. Remind yourself of Christ. Everything that you're doing, how can that honor Christ and what you're doing? Any version of this that doesn't honor Christ isn't doing this. If anything is to aggrandize or demean anybody else in the process, it's not doing this. And it ain't the system that's broken. It's the abusers of the system who are broken. We're members of his body. So let's live lives worthy of that calling to be part of his body. If you abuse the system, you're abusing Christ's body. And I don't want to do that. Don't ever justify doing that quotes Genesis. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. Because this is all about marriage, right? I love it! Paul goes, oh, this is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Christ in the church. I'm not actually talking about marriage. Not. I'm not. I'm not, That's not what I was saying. This is actually about the... You know, <laughs> He's genuinely part of us and all we're doing like a loving wife and husband are part of each other. I often hear people preaching this and they do it backwards. They put the cart before the horse. They'll be like, um, you know, Christ and his relationship with the church is kind of like marriage, which is the opposite of what what Paul is saying here, right? Paul isn't saying Christ and his relationship with the church is a lot like marriage. He says, no, no, marriage is supposed to be a reflection of Christ and his church. It's not just that Christ and his church is like a good version of what you screw up on a daily basis, me screw up on a daily basis. It's supposed to be that what we do is supposed to echo that relationship, that perfect relationship. Submission to one another, our love for one another, needs to follow the example of Christ. Christ and his church are not like marriage. Marriage is supposed to be like Christ and his church. How abusive is Christ toward his church? How much does his church go, okay, I, I don't even, I'm just, whatever. No, I need you to step up. I, I'm not removing your agency, I'm giving you agency. Engage in this. Beloved, if anything that I'm saying here today is even remotely right, please do not pitch. The system. Please heal the broken people within it. Too often we say people have abused it, therefore let's hack it off. I'd rather try to heal the people who have been abused and who are abusing. Because he says, I'm actually talking about Christ in the church. However, you know, each one of you should also, you know, do do this in your marriage too. At least, he retroactively applies his own extended metaphor. No, this is an extended metaphor. So, you're talking about marriage? No, I'm talking about. Christ. It actually, technically, yes, I'm also talking about marriage. But I've been talking about Jesus. But yeah, no, each of you should also love his wife as he loves himself. The wife should respect her husband. Yeah, no, that too. Sure, yeah. But is it possible that everything that Paul's been saying here has actually, ultimately, been about the church and our relationship with Christ? Even more than a husband and wife's relationship with each other? That we should submit to Christ in everything in our lives as he gives himself up completely and lovingly to meet all of our needs? That all of this has ultimately been about that and that Paul only afterwards goes, oh, and marriage, yes. On some core level, yeah. And yet Paul does say, Oh, well, yeah, also your marriages. Yes, that's the way you should be treating each other. But not just about marriage. He says, hey, children, you should be doing this right with your parents. By the way, parents, you should be doing this right with your children. Slaves, you should be doing it. I can't even say that without saying it was a little different in the first century than what we associate with Europeans making it all about racism 500 years ago. What our country made of it. Think of it more like servants. Engage with your, with your employers, with your masters healthily. Masters, do that healthfully. In everything. Here's what you guys should do, and here's what you guys should do. It's never just do. It's you do, and the system only works if they do. How about everybody submit themselves to one another? In fact, I love that he says, he says, slaves, here's how you should interact with your masters. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. Which is a weird sentence when you start really thinking about it. Perhaps why... That's why Paul even says to Philemon, maybe you should just let Onesimus go free. Slaves, you should interact with your masters in a way that honors Christ. Masters, interact with your slaves in ways that honor Christ. Well, doesn't it inherently not? Huh. Maybe do something about that. But in all of this, you're reminded that you are trying to honor he who is both their master and yours in heaven. In all of this, whether you're talking about husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and servants, in all of this, it's like, how do you stop and say, what I do right now matters in how I'm hoopatassoing myself, how I'm placing myself under Christ? Because it's not about me elevating somebody above me or me abjectly putting my face down in front of, below them. It's about all of us kneeling at the throne of Christ and saying, how do I serve all of you and love all of you in a way that shows that all of us are subject to the only one who should be on the throne? If you're a Lent person, the point of Lent is not to give up something that was bad for you. If you give up something that was bad for you for Lent, shame on you. Please give it up for the rest of the 325 days of the year. If you give up something, you go, no, 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 I'm not giving this up because it's inherently bad for me. I'm giving this up so that every time I think about eating chocolate, every time I think about uh, fill in bike, whatever it is that you're doing, every time I think about doing this, I stop and say, how do I place this under Christ's feet? And for the 40 days, I really want to, to focus on his lordship, even over chocolate in my life. And then for the other 325 days of the year, is there a way that you can find that you can continue giving him lordship over that? Maybe you can start eating chocolate again, but I mean, it's like, can he still be the Lord? E- every day. That's the strength of that. That's the strength of fasting. Is to sit there and say, every time my tummy goes, I stop and I pray and I say, Lord, this is for you. How do I honor you in this? doesn't mean you should never eat again, but how do I make every meal something that honors Christ? Can I live every day in a way that submits myself to Christ as I submit myself to Sarah? And Sarah submits herself to Mark. And Mark submits himself to Calvin. And Calvin submits himself to Elsie. And can, we, can we all just say this isn't terrifying? Can we all make it God-honoring? And to do it, not because I say, you are superior to me. You've earned it from my hands. You, but to do it because you say, because Christ loved me. Because Christ forgave me. Because Christ got on his knees and washed my feet because of Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for being in no way inferior to me and yet serving me. Lord, I thank you for your heart. And I pray help us to love you well. Help every interaction in our lives to echo our relationship with you, to remind one another to love you first and foremost. I pray be glorified in our lives by the heart with which we love those whom you love. We give all this to you in Jesus' name and pray that you be glorified. Amen. Would you join us in singing our closing song?